Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 476. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsor thank you goes to The Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important this year than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. Listen up for details on how you can win a VIP registration for the upcoming Flurvana Virtual Summit Holiday Edition, which takes place Sunday, October 25th through Wednesday, October 28th online. I'm returning to speak at this unique four-day floral conference, and I've teamed up with producer Sean Michael Foley to give away one VIP registration. That's a value of $197, and it will go to one of our listeners, and you'll have to listen to the end of this show for giveaway details. Today's guest is Natasha McCrary, and she and I first met when we started following one another on social media, I think. Naming her business 1818 Farms was a brilliant move because it's kind of unforgettable. And her Instagram feed is filled with lots of charming images of flora and fauna. And by fauna, I am specifically talking about the old English baby doll South Down sheep who reside at 1818 Farms with the flowers in Morrisville, Alabama. These animals are so prominent at 1818 Farms that there's an illustration of one on the farm's branding and logo. Natasha will tell the story in much more detail, but here's a bit. Miniature Southdown sheep originated on the Southdown Hills of Sussex County, England in the 1700s. Between 1986 and 1991, after becoming almost extinct, 350 sheep with the original bloodlines were located and added to a registry. The name Old English Baby Doll Southdown can only be used for sheep that have been accepted by the registry. Baby dolls are outstanding pets that produce fleece that is in the class of cashmere, a hand spinner's delight. They provide organic weeding and make excellent companion animals. Their gentle nature makes them a joy to own, Natasha says. She writes more about the sheep at 1818 Farms on her website. The idea for this family project originated with my eight-year-old child who fell in love with the baby doll Southdown sheep that he met at a petting farm that we visited in October of 2011. Owning a baby doll was all he could talk about. So thinking this would be a fun and educational project for our family to do together, I began researching where to buy a few lambs to raise as a family on our land here in Mooresville. And then 
As Gamble, my eight-year-old entrepreneur, began to plan what he was going to do with his sheep, he wanted to sell the wool, sell the manure to garden shops, charge for photography, even stage a nativity scene at the church if he could find a baby. <laughs> I began to dream my own plans for a small, profitable farm where we could teach our children to appreciate the land and animals and be good conservationists. We also wanted to teach them the importance of being self-sustaining. Well, that was eight years ago. Now located on three acres in the northwest corner of the historic village of Mooresville, Alabama, population 58, 1818 Farms is named for the year Mooresville was incorporated, one year before Alabama became a state. Events of all types have been hosted in the garden, under the pavilions, and in the adjacent garden house. And pre-COVID, the events included bloom strolls, supper and garden club gatherings, farm-to-table dinners hosted by some of the area's top chefs, and many other activities. The garden house has also been home to a series of classes, including raised bed gardening, food preservation, seed starting, raising backyard chickens, wreath making, and flower preparation and arranging. Natasha has moved some of that education to the new 1818 Farms YouTube channel during COVID, and you'll hear us discuss that in our conversation. 1818 Farms Bath and Beauty products have evolved as an important facet of the McCrary family's farm-based business. The farm's popular animals appear on the labels of products including Farrah Fawcett's Bath Tea, Clover's Lip Smack, and Sweet Pea and her Scented Shea Cream. In 2019, Natasha's hard work was recognized with the 1818 Farms winning of Amazon's United States Woman-Owned Small Business of the Year. I know you'll enjoy our conversation and be inspired by Natasha's tips and suggestions, especially for adding a non-perishable product line to create a revenue stream year-round for your farm. I'll have photos and links to Natasha's social places in our show notes for episode 476 at deborahprinzing.com. Let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm coming to you today with a guest from Alabama, which is really great, so far away from me in Seattle. This is Natasha McCrary of 1818 Farm in Mooresville, Alabama. Good morning, Natasha. I guess it's almost noon for you there, but hello. Hi, Deborah. How are you? I'm excited to be your guest today, a long-term, long-term listener. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I'm so glad, and I'm glad that you joined Slow Flowers so we could get to know each other better. Um, you know, as I said, I you know, we don't have a huge floral community in Alabama. I think we've got four or five members. So, um, you know, I love to see more activity. And uh, I don't know what that's what what's happening there in terms of like active people interested in local flowers. But can you give us a little bit of a snapshot of where you're located in terms of Mooresville, Alabama, and then also um, describe 1818 Farm to us? Uh, It's a great name, by the way. Thank you. And I'll go into a little bit about uh, the history of the name. So Mooresville, Alabama is actually in northern Alabama. And for listeners, just to kind of give you an idea, we're probably an hour and a half south of Nashville and maybe an hour and a half north of Birmingham. Okay, wow. So a lot of of times when people say, where are you from? Like we were out of town last week. I say Huntsville because most people have never heard of Mooresville. Mm. It's a population is 58 people. Wait, 58. (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> okay. And, and your family occupies a few of those, right? <laughs> oh, there's 10 of us, 10 of us. So yeah, uh, my, my joke is to everyone, I have more chickens than we have uh, people in our town. Oh, I love it. But it is uh, an incorporated town with a mayor and a town council. But um, And it's actually the reason our name is 1818 Farms. It's a small little town, which is a lot of people refer to it as Alabama's Williamsburg. Mm. It, it was incorporated in the year 1818, and Alabama actually didn't become a state until the year 1819. Oh, wow. And yeah, and our family's been here. Uh, our kids are the sixth generation to live in our home. So we've been here, you know, quite a, quite a while. So when we were naming the farm and we were tossing around the idea of, of starting an agritourism destination, we really wanted to come up with a significant name that would mean something for generations to come and really, you know, a nod to the town because, it, you know, we've been here so long that the town is is really a nice little tourist destination for people to walk around and step back in time and we felt like, you know, it really tied the whole history together. Yeah, it's great. It's a wonderful idea. And it kind of puts puts you on a map, on the map, historically, geographically, and also clearly, uh, it's, it, it just communicates the idea of a homestead. And uh, I don't know if it is a homestead. What Tell us about your acreage and, and what you have uh, on this property. So we are, our actual home is maybe two blocks from the farm. We ride our bikes there, so it's super close or walk. But it, we didn't have anything adjacent to our to our home that we could have this type of a agritourism destination. Also, it had to do with zoning, also because even in a small town like this, you have to you know you have to abide by the zoning regulations. So at the front of town, there was um, a three like about a three acre parcel, and um, it had been a horse pasture for years. Um, and we that's where you know we had we started leasing that land and you know, it had to do a lot of work. Deborah. It was, had probably not been used in 15 or 20 years. So we are, um, our boundary is the Wheeler Wildlife Refuge. So mm. I always say you can take care of nature or nature will take care of you. And the, <laughs> it, I mean, seriously, the, um, the refuge had encroached probably into a half acre of the land. So we had to have all that land cleared. There's privet. I don't know where are your listeners, if privet is a problem there, but privet is very invasive here. So there was a lot of privet that had, you know, had really become invasive and we had to do a lot of work there. You know, we wanted it to be really for us because we wanted to be a tourist agritourism destination. I didn't really want to go more than three acres. It's very hard to keep when, when people visit a farm, the people who are out here listening here are farmers, you know, what right. it's like to keep a farm up, but they want it to be what it's, what it's like in a storybook. And yeah. really for me, more than three acres, it is impossible to keep it storybook. Yeah, I agree. And um, you've mentioned a couple times agritourism. So that was really, you didn't set out to be a exclusively a flower farmer. You had a, a kind of a bigger uh, definition of what you wanted 1818 farm to be, right? Yes. When we started, uh, my middle son fell in love with a Southdown baby doll sheep. And if you follow us on Instagram, that's probably the best way or our website. You'll see these beautiful, they look like little smiling teddy bear sheep. And they were, um, they're a heritage breed that was almost extinct in the 1990s. And we, he fell in love with this. And this was kind of how the whole process started is all he could talk about. He was eight years old and <laughs> 16 now, was owning one of these sheep. And he was always the child who with, I've said this before, sell his toys to his siblings. You know, he was always the one when you had a lemonade stand, nothing was free. So even at a young age, he wanted to, um, 
have these sheep sell their wool, sell the manure. He wanted to uh, rent them for nativity scenes. Like it, it just like he, when he gets going on something, it just, he doesn't stop. Um, so, hey, let me stop you for a second because uh, you cut out. They're, some, they're baby doll sheep. Is that the name of them? Yeah, it's the South Down baby doll sheep okay. and uh, just adorable. They look like when they're fully wooled, giant teddy bears. Yeah, I've seen the like photos on your bear. Instagram feed and on your website. And we'll have to share photos, but they're, yeah, they're utterly charming. I guess they'd be like the, I don't know, the the labradoodle version of sheep, right? <laughs> they are, and they have so much personality and we're very hands-on with them. So we started just to really start this farm and teach our children about sustainability, giving back to the land and to have a family building project. You know, mm. at that age, children, you know, when you get into eight, 12, that age, you really want to get them out outdoors and not behind the screens. And, <laughs> right. And, and for me, it was, my background was corporate. I wanted them to see me starting with a concept, building a business plan and, you know, having a long-term business. So oh. a lot of it for me was a teaching concept. Of course, I wanted a successful business, but I want them to know about hard work. And mm-hmm. if you are determined and you work every day and you hit the pavement with a plan, you can be successful. Mm. So at the, how long ago was this that you uh, brought sheep into your life? Did you say eight years? Uh, 2012. Like okay. we started the business plan in 11, 2011. And in 12, I think that 2012, that spring, our first four sheep came to our farm and we have around 17 now. And we breed, um, you know, a breeding season starts here November 1st. So we're prepping for that right now. And, when um, you, and that when in the breeding, is it like, because this population is so small, you have a lot of interest in uh, other, other um, livestock owners who want to add this sheep, this type of sheep to their, to their whatever <laughs> collection. Yes, they, their wool is equivalent to cashmere. It's um, a little bit shorter than that. So you have a lot of hobby farmers who are into hand spinning Mm. and who really people who the beauty about this sheep is they're smaller so let's say our largest ram which is the male sheep is probably 130 140 pounds down to our smallest might be 75 or 80 so for a female who wants to practice animal husbandry this is a good size Mm. and they're naturally polled p-o-l-e-d which means they have no horns (laughs) i'm learning so much from you (laughs) you're using words i've never heard of before (laughs) Hey, I'm glad I could offer something today. So. <laughs> I yeah, well, I mean, we are going to talk about flowers, people. I promise. But this is a this is part of your brand to the point where the this baby doll sheep is on your logo, right? Yes, and she's wearing a little and she's wearing a little dried flower wreath on her on her like around her neck. You'll see the baby doll sheep Lulu <laughs> with a little dried flower wreath around her neck. Oh my gosh, I love it! So these sheep are irresistible. So people obviously want to come see them and pet them, and of course, it lends itself to an experience that's uh, you know family friendly because the sheep are are sounds like they're kind of gentle and and small and you know approachable. Uh, so. Okay, so what happened next? Where when did flowers work into the mix of your your three acre homestead? Well, when we started, I knew I, initially I was just going to grow, you know, maybe twenty five percent flowers, seventy five percent produce, and we were going to um, participate in farmers markets. Mm-hmm. So we did four farmers markets a week, and I think you and I have spoken. That is for anyone out there that is the hardest work you'll ever do. I mean, farmers markets are hard, yeah. and especially for a week. 
And when we started with flowers, now I'd always love flowers, but I looked at it from a strategy of if I'm selling produce, let's have something extra to offer. This might, you know, entice someone to come into our booth. And, you know, it's a value added is mm. what I looked at it. It's so it's kind added. of your sizzle to get them into the booth to buy the vegetables. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, we did that for several years. And then we, over the years, like let's say by probably 2016, we were 50% flowers, 50% produce. And you and I have spoken. One thing that I learned quickly is that flowers are a luxury item and it's something that you could have a price and the price was the price. Mm. It's not necessarily that at a farmer's market when you are dealing with produce. I'm not really sure why that is, Mm. but that's just what I saw. You know, whenever, if the bouquet was that price, the bouquet was that price. So, and I just saw a really, for me, season extension. One, you know, it's, we're a little limited here, you know, you may, you know, a lot of the tomatoes, those kind of things in our climate here, you get them in mid-April if you don't have a hoop house. And then, you know, it's later getting them in. But once you hit the freeze, it's a, it's a hard cutoff for us. Where flowers, I found you can be in that market. For us, we're almost in the market 12 months a year. Mm. So that for me was a turning point. And I love flowers. I saw the joy it brought to people the connection you made with everyone, the stories they would tell you about the certain flower. If they're someone once told me, Oh, bachelor buttons, my dad, my grandfather always wore one of those in his uh, coat jacket every day. Mm. Like a little, you know, mm-hmm. the stories you hear, I don't really hear that about, you a know, Ireland. yeah. I mean, you just don't hear it. I mean, yeah. it truly, I mean, I just can't tell you even through the pandemic, what joy flowers have brought to people's lives. So I'm, totally happy that we made that move in 2018 to go 100% flowers and really redesign our fields. It was a huge investment with the irrigation and just everything, but it's the best decision I ever made. Well, it, it when we did talk a couple weeks ago about this and you gave me a little bit of an introduction, you said you made this, this big investment to f- basically use the term flip to flowers and then you changed your, your offerings and the way you interacted with customers at that point, right? Yes. Uh, we moved into having uh, bouquet subscriptions. And it's kind of like a, we do it sort of like a CSA, but we really promote those heavily. This is what I encourage anyone who's a flower farmer now is someone messaged me the other day, when should I start promoting my bouquet subscription? I'm like, November. You need, I mean, I have people now asking, when are, why are the subscriptions not live? Because mm. this is a great time for gifting for holiday. And for me as a flower farmer, I look at that as I'm going to have a lot of bills due for all these, all the corms and everything I'm buying right, right now, this just helps prepay for everything. Right. Um, but I encourage people to, you know, look at that. And we offered balloon stroll and bouquet workshops and we were really going heavily in drive now. So there's so many turns you have to make, but you can make this, especially in our zone where we're seven, eight, literally almost around the 12 months, we're doing something. Mm. We're selling something that has to do with flowers. So, um, and Natasha, I'm looking at your website while we're talking, which is really fun because I can. it helps me see what you're referring to. And, and I have a couple questions about things you've just mentioned. And of course, we'll have photos on our show notes at deborahprinzing.com and, and all the links to uh, meet 1818 Farms and also their social places. But I see on here you have, and of course, it's marked, like you said, marked sold out right now, but it's bouquet subscription. Enjoy a wonderful gift for yourself or treat someone special to six hand gathered and arranged bouquets. And that 
we were selling it for three twenty, but sometimes you discount it to two fifty or describe. Yeah, that. we discount it there. Like that's kind of our you know a pre order method. Like that'll come if anyone who's going to go ahead and pre order it early will do that. The bouquet okay. may change later in the year. But that is going to be uh, what we would probably classify between a small and a medium bouquet. It's not really a medium. Our mediums are pretty large, but it's not really a small either. And everything, we we deliver everything. There are no pickups. So oh, okay. the beauty of where we are, we're 30 minutes, 20 minutes to Huntsville, 15 minutes to a small town called Madison and Decatur and then Athens. So we have a really pretty, you know, you'd say, oh, you're 58 people. How are you selling any flowers? There's so many larger cities around us. And you're in this populated area then that that your de- deliveries aren't hours away. They're just maybe within 30 minutes Right, away. 30 to 45 minutes. That's a lot at most. And we'll go into like Florence or somewhere. We have a lot of restaurants who will order. And if it's a large order, we're going to take it. I mean, we're going to go over because it's a great way to get your name out there, especially when you're selling in buckets. Right. But yes, yeah, so we really, we do home delivery I mean, if someone wants to come pick it up, but I think the convenience, and especially in the, during the pandemic, a lot of elderly people receive these and, you know, they're not comfortable leaving their homes. Mm-hmm. But we also, I mean, some people are like, I can't believe you do this, but we, everything is arranged in a glass space because I want them to receive it and it look exactly the way it is intended to. And some people aren't comfortable arranging flowers in a vase. Right. They're just not. And, you know, I think it, you know, and if they want to recycle those, we'll happily take, you know, a lot of our subscriptions at the last one, they had them waiting for us and we'll use those next year. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Well, that's but a I good think way. It's, it's a little value added also. Uh, and um, that's just kind of the way, you know, that we've always done that is through the vase. But I think that's definitely, I would encourage you if you are a flower farmer to go ahead and really around Thanksgiving, get those subscriptions up and ready to go. And we usually send it, they get for, you can do a cute note card and then we'll do, last year we did a flower truck. We have a flower truck t-shirt with our farm name on it as kind of like what they could gift. Mm. I think we're going to do a towel. Like we have a cute little towel with a flower truck on it. Mm. So it's, they're getting something also. When they subscribe. Right. Uh, Okay. And then you mentioned the Bloom Stroll and Bouquet Workshop. And um, this is kind of moving you into that idea of agritourism, right? Yes. And we have people come from, you know, all over the state and out of state for that. And it's, we had to really change that this year because of the pandemic before, you know, you come to there, we talk about our growing methods, pre uh, harvest, post harvest, Uh, you know, we go through a lot of just basics that someone, you know, I take advantage, I take um, for granted that I know, but people don't realize and cutting and when to cut, how to cut. And we go through all those steps. But in the past, we had lots of just 30 buckets of all the flowers that you could choose and we'd build the bouquets. And with the pandemic, which I actually really liked is we cut maybe for every person had 75 stems or Mm. it depended on the recipe. So they still get to, they still get to have the tour, but they are then doing a bouquet workshop with everything pre-harvested. Is that what you're saying? Okay. And what we do is it was pre-harvested before and there was more cutting and you can still cut because I think that's part of the beauty of the hands-on is we go through step-by-step, you know, building the bouquet. And then at the end, if you want to add more, you can go cut more. Because I Mm. think that is something that people are connecting with nature and they want to do that. And uh, we just had to really make those smaller this year and then, you know, wear the mask. And, uh, but people were happy. And I think actually for us, I think they had more balanced, beautiful bouquets going the step-by-step with their bucket versus, you know, everyone walking over and selecting their flowers. So actually it worked really well. And people, I think I've said this before is people are like, for me, I don't really need any more things. <laughs> right. I like experiences. Right. So I, I, you know, and I know it's nerve wracking because 
you want the people to have a great time and you worry, do the flowers look good? You know, what if, you know, people in their minds have, you know, a flower field should be in full bloom, but a good flower farmer, nothing's ever going to be in <laughs> right, full bloom because right. you're cutting and pulling it out. So <laughs> there is some education. So yep. one section, they're like, oh my goodness, this whole section's dead. And I'm like, oh no, we're saving the seeds. You know, these seeds mm-hmm. are going to be, mm-hmm. you know, we're selling these seeds. So, you know, it, there is some education, but I think you have to get past that and explain to people, you know, if you had everything in bloom at once, then you wouldn't have anything later. Yeah. So there's an education portion That's wonderful. there as well. When I first looked at your website, when I first kind of, I think maybe you got on my radar through social media and Instagram, um, I was struck by how 1818 Farms basically looks like a a home decor and and beauty products and health, you know, healthy lifestyle products uh, emporium. Like you have a lot of these um, beautiful gift items that are made from things on the farm. And and could you describe like how you got into that kind of uh, what cat? What is that category? Is it like health and beauty, or is it gifting, or you know, it's sort of yeah, we call products. it um, yeah, we call it bath, beauty, and lifestyle is okay. what we call it. And um, the first. You know, I started this and, you know, I wasn't, I did in my, so my business plan did change a little. So my <laughs> mind wasn't that we would have a, you know, a production facility making um, high quality bath products. It was farming. But then you, like I was saying earlier, when you're growing produce, when the frost hits in October, November, what are you going to do really the rest of the year? So that first year I took, we, and when we started, we had, a, we grew a lot of lavender. Mm-hmm. We grow no lavender now. It's, just you can't really for where we are the heat's hard on it it takes several years and snow can damage you know it's a lot of different mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. and you can't really uh for us it just wasn't profitable but that first year we used a lot of that into into our bath products and mm. that was for holiday I just started gifting people for those you know different products soaps and you know lip balm and uh different things like that and it was really just a way I tell people to pay the utility bill and feed the animals right. over the winter. It, that's how it started. And then, but that's sort of somewhat, a farmer's, that's a farmer's mindset. Like don't waste anything. Right. Yes. And so it was like, okay, we got to pay for the electricity and we can't open for tours till here. What are we going to do? So it, you know, someone received it as a gift and it was a shop owner and they said, we really like your packaging. Like on the packaging, I, my mother-in-law grew, drew the little pencil sketches of the farm animals and I would, make them the cover guy or the cover girls. Like one of the <laughs> so sheep cute. is on the lotion and they thought this is so cute. So I would love to have this in your, in our shop. And so, you know, I, I wholesaled to her and it did really well. And she's like, I really think you should go to, you know, market. I think you, I think your products are great. The packaging is great. They are, you know, they're high quality. So from there we started Atlanta market and, you know, the line grew and I think we're probably in around 500 stores now. So wow. that's a whole nother piece Wow. Um, that's sort of almost like a separate business then, right? Yes. So the farm is here in Mooresville. Our corporate office is in Huntsville, and that's where our production and shipping of all the things that you see, like the boxes, other than like the dried flower box we just launched, like they're trying to figure out, okay, y'all got to do those bouquets at the farm, and we've got to get them to the office because the, you know, the UPS comes, you know, they're trying, this is really like, usually we bring everything into the office, but this is something that needs to be done here. Farm so. direct. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's crazy. So the, um, you have a retail of your, um, bath beauty and lifestyle products on your website, but then you have a whole operation where you're selling wholesale to, um, through the Atlantic gift market, like through a rep or something is, is how is that no, going? 
we have a showroom there and it's uh we rent it with another an artist out of Chicago. So we have our own showroom and we're there. Like we're only there at the larger markets. Mm-hmm. So we're there. And then we also sell there's a wholesale platform called Fair. It's uh out of California and it's uh one of the first online wholesale platforms. Yeah, you so just told me about that. In. It's F A I R E. Mm-hmm. It's really wonderful. So it's been, you know, and you, you treat it, they are commissioned sort of like a rep would be, but it's, you know, a way for people who aren't going to go to markets and travel to find your products. And they have a really, uh, I would, I would consider trusting reviews because the people are going to leave the reviews who buy the product for your store. So you get to have a lot of feedback and, um, you know, it's a great platform for us, especially during the pandemic where a lot of people aren't wanting to travel to right. go to markets. Right. Uh, so, Natasha, I'm just wondering, is shea cream your best seller? Because that seems to be kind of the top item that pops up on your on your online store. Um, or is it just one of the popular ones? No, it's the best seller. That's okay. like what people probably, it's sort of one of those products where you use it, you buy the next jar. You use it, you buy, you know what I'm saying? So it's in the, I mean, all, all the products do well, but this is kind of what we're known for and what people probably purchase the most will be the shea cream. And it's, oh, wow. Um, so tell us, how, how do you make it? And like, what what is it made of? Okay, it's made of um, shea butter and coconut oil. And then there is an unscented also, which you would believe is very popular because a lot of people, you know, are sensitive to smells. Mm. And, you know, you have to uh, have a special way we blend it and whip it. And then it goes through, it's filled into a jar. So just recipes that we've developed over the years. So it's it's definitely, you know, our best seller. And then some of the ingredients are botanical. And so you are able to perhaps infuse dried, you know, I don't know, dried right. flowers into them. I don't know how, it's right. still, some or, of them probably aren't. Yeah, some aren't because you take so much like to distill the essential oil, how much it would take, but then like you can use the petals that we dry and things like that. Like we're working on something right now with wow. dried petals. So it's nice to be able to incorporate anything that we can for sustainability from the farm. And we're, you know, really big in trying to have low waste. You know, we, we try and you know, all the manure from the animals is put in the compost pile and then we're, you know, it put, goes back into the soil. So it's a whole process of really trying to have zero waste. Mm-hmm. Well, you and I had chatted with the notion that we were going to air this in late October, just as people are kind of pivoting to holiday. And you told me that you were starting a new collection or or maybe grouping of products uh, that you're calling from the farm. So this is just launching for holiday 2020. Is that right? Yes, it is. And we're doing it. It's it, for anyone out there who's launched a line. It takes, it seems like I've been working on this line for five <laughs> years, but the, um, you know, you have the ideas and I think I encourage you, especially if you're flower farming out there to be thinking of different ways to, to extend your season. And I believe from what I'm seeing that dried flowers are going to be a trend. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm we, seeing it too. So, uh, I, you know, we really started drying things early. Well, we dried last year as a test and it did, you know, we did well, but then we made really the commitment this year that every day there was going to be a part of our day that was, we are just harvesting for dried, you know, just as though you would be harvesting to sell a bouquet then, which you have to get in the mindset of, okay, I know I'm doing this work, but hopefully in the future, the labor is going to pay off. So you <laughs> have to, you just have to work that into your day. Yeah. Um, but we, luckily for us in our climate, like, Gomfrinus, so many uh, celosia. We were harvesting the last of the uh, giant marigolds today. Uh, there's so many great dried flowers that we can grow. And we, you know, a lot of the larkspur, we dried some things, nigella or to the nigella pods. 
Um, but you're really having to think forward. But we wanted a section because what we've seen is we've had a few um, products last year from the farm. We do a wool filled suet feeder and we had our first, we sold the purple hyacinth bean, the ruby moon, the first one. People really gravitated towards that artisan side of the business. Yep. So we really have focused hard on developing um, products that are shippable, you know, for that are shippable and are dried. You've, so, got, you've got seed to vase, dried flower gift box, couple different sizes. And I see what you're saying. Like it's, it can be, there's nothing that's going to, um, well, first of all, you can ship ground, right? You don't have to ship yes, overnight or ship. something. So that's an advantage, yes. right? Yes, because the shipping is just so expensive. You know, we were trying to, our seeds, you know, we want to ship the most cost-effective way. And you're like, really? This is how much it costs to ship a packet of seeds first class? You know, prices have really gone up. So, and we have a lot of requests for people who want live flowers, but it's just something, like you said, we've never gotten into because it's so hot here in the summers. Even, you know, even if you're going to overnight them, I would be a nervous wreck. So, Mm -hmm. but I thought with the dried we, 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 and we did do a lot of testing as finding the right box. How are we going to package them? Let's ship, we shipped them back and forth to ourselves. I mean, we did a <laughs> lot of testing. What's the best way to place them in the box so that the telescoping lid doesn't touch the flowers? So I just think there's a hunger out there. And there are a lot of people who love the longevity of dried. And the key is, I think, you know, I'm very happy with how our process turned out. And, you know, I, I'm asked a lot, well, my dried flowers didn't look good. And I think probably the number one mistake is, is people take the leftovers and try and dry them. And you really have to take what's at peak and dry Interesting. Those. So instead of waiting till like the very end of the season and drying, you're, you're cutting when it's the product that is at, at its premium, ready to be harvested, and then drying that. Right. Is that what you're saying? So. Yes. So, you know, a lot of people will say I had my bouquet or or this didn't sell at the farmer's market. I'm going to dry it. So we're never going to do that. Mm. We're going to take, we're going to cut that day and bundle and go straight Mm -hmm. up because you're going to have the best colors, the less shedding. I mean, you're always going to have a little shedding. Sure. You know, we we do a lot of education in these boxes. Like it's normal. You see a petal drop or, you know, it is dry. It's dead. Basically it's it's a dead flower, but, um, but you're, it's a lot of educating on that as all as well. But I think that is probably the number one mistake I hear from people is they're cutting at the wrong time. Either mm. they're cutting Gonfrina, they're cutting too early, or they're cutting too late, or yeah. they're just waiting until they kind of don't want it to go to compost. Well, there's I mean, like not, I said, yeah, there's not like a perfect reference book that tells people, uh, you know, a lot of this must have been trial and error on your part, just to kind of pr- experiment with when to harvest for dry and then to get the longevity uh in, in a product. Is that true? Yes, or? it is. It is. And then it's also having the right conditions. So we have it, we have a dehumidifier running because we are very humid here. It would take too long for it to dry. And then we have right. two dehydrators running it. There's a few things like, I don't know if you saw, there's those little ornaments we're selling on the website. The little Christmas flower. tree ornaments. Mm-hmm. Those are and charming. So the, thank you. Those little pieces can be, it's faster for us to do those in the dehydrator and that helps heat the room up. We call it the hot box. Everyone laughs. We're like, this is so hot in here. I'm like, it's like 150, but it's, (laughs) you have to create the correct environment, Yeah, you know, to have them dry. And the faster they dry, the quick, the better the color holds, I find. So where are, do you have a barn or where are you doing the drying? So we have a little, um, it's called the garden house and it's one side before COVID, we had like farm tables and that's where we, when children came from schools or tour groups or master gardeners, you know, we would sit like 26 people. And on the left side of that is a kitchen. 
and it has a refrigerator stove, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And there's no windows in that room Mm -hmm. in the kitchen side. So we have, um, you know, just run wires as tight as we can in that room and there's no light. It's so hot in there. There's no, it's no air condition, no heat. So it's 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 the conditions you, you want it to be stuffy then. Right, yeah. right. But you have to pull that humidity out with yeah. the dehumidifier for oh, us in this climate. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's really, I now I just wish the room was larger because now we're at the point where, you know, we're taking things down, we're putting them in bins, we're trying to calculate, you know, how many bundles do we have at this? I mean, bundles do we have at that? Oh my goodness. And we're still, yeah, cutting. So it is a lot of managing, um, you know, storing it correctly and then making right. sure that you have count of what you have because you don't want to oversell. You know, we want to sell these gift boxes we have to make sure, you know, we're doing pre-orders, we have to make sure we have enough of every component to make those bouquets. Oh and we also yeah. have leftover. We don't want to not sell, you know, before the color fades. It's so all, there's a lot of balancing. Yeah, all that inventory management. Um, well, I'm just so fascinated with the multifaceted um, kind of diversified ways that you're basically earning a living for your family from this farm. Uh, excuse me, from livestock to... Uh, fresh product to dried product and and also these beauty products. Um, And I'm just, I know you have a bit of a a background in corporate. You've mentioned that, but can you tell us a little bit about your journey to this point in time? Like what, what did you do in your previous life? Feels like a lifetime ago, but um, (laughs) I graduated with a um, marketing degree. And then right after college, I actually didn't use the marketing degree. I went right to a company called Anderson Consulting, which is now a center and did computer programming, which makes no sense at all, does it? Wow. And then I was there for a couple of years and then I did pharmaceutical sales. And then I was a stay-at-home mom and did a a nonprofit. I just helped start a nonprofit and did that for a few years. So I've kind of bounced around in those things. But I think a lot of it is with the farm to be successful, you really have to market it. I mean, I think if I encourage people, you know, make sure you have a website, have an active social media page, it will get there. You know, you're not going to have, you know, it takes baby steps and to grow it organically, but really, you know, you have to tell your story and you have to make the, your followers know about your products or, you know, put it out there for them. Mm -hmm. And you really kind of, I think the hardest part for me has been becoming the face of the, um, the face of the farm yeah. because a lot of times you don't want to see my face because I'm sweaty and I have a <laughs> ponytail and I'm dirty and you know, I'm not here. I'm not hair and makeup ready. You don't want a picture of me. Well, so, that's when you pull out the, you bring out the sheep, I guess they can be your backup, right? Cause they're, <laughs> oh, they are there. Or, or you just get a picture of me from the back. Any picture from the back, it means the front did not look good. So oh I encourage you don't be scared to put yourself out there. Um, because people want to connect with others. They want to put a name and a face together and know it's a real brand. So I think that's really important for anyone, even if you're not a flower farmer, if you're a florist, if you're whatever you do out there, you need to not be afraid to be the face of the brand. Well, Natasha, um, could you have predicted eight years ago when you started helping your son with his sheep project that the business would even go in this direction? You didn't, yes, you said you had a business plan, but initially, um, like you said, you had a farmer's market strategy. So, so I guess, is that correct? Or I mean, yeah, that's correct. So I wouldn't, and then probably then there's no way I would have thought this, (laughs) but I think in gradual steps, you kind of make moves and you adjust 
as you're going, you may have a plan, but if you see something's working, this is what I tell everybody that works for us is if it's working, let's keep doing it. If it's not working, let's stop and don't dig a hole any further. Mm, it's smart. okay if things, you know what I mean? That's what I say. So I think the way where we ended up here was, you know, for a long time, we just grew the produce and people said, I'd love to come to the farm. And a friend said, how about let's have farm to tables? I have a shelf and we did farm to, you know, that wasn't in my plan. So mm-hmm. you're kind of always being aware of advantages that are there and needs and then changing to meet those for your, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to think about who's the customer and making sure that you're providing something for that customer that they a need that they, you know, you're meeting a need. Well, you're not so like wedded to the, the original idea that you're, uh, you know, resistant to trying new things or abandoning things that aren't working. So I really appreciate you mentioning that. Um, I think we're all in a year where if it, if something's going to get tossed out, this is the year to do it. Like it's the purge. So um, your, your willingness to tell people about what you've stopped doing and what you've added is, is really helpful, <laughs> I think, as sort of a yeah. case study. And some people look at that, I think, as a failure. And I always say, let's look at it as a learning experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, might not, I wouldn't be where I was now if I didn't have those failures before. I mean, it's, you can't look at it that way. You just have to get up and dust off and keep going and find something that works better. Well, we've talked about your kind of increasing your from the farm offerings, um, you know, in terms of building out your online store and your wholesale business. It seems to me that you are um, continuing to put your face and your story out there with your new YouTube channel. And I just wanted to talk, hear, hear from you a little bit about that and um, just <laughs> describe how that how that's going for you. I think pretty well, although I have certain days I have to be hair and makeup ready is what they tell me. Like you have got to get hair and makeup ready for this. So it's going well. And a big piece of what we do at the farm, if you look at our business model is education. And we felt like with the pandemic, that piece wasn't, we weren't meeting Mm. that part of the goal because we couldn't have visitors. And typically when we have visitors, we have a sheep shearing day in March that's open to the public. We do a lot of give back days Mm -hmm. where there is no charge. You just come and it's our uh, commitment to education and open farm days, but we couldn't do that. All of our garden clubs, all of our, you know, all of our tours were canceled for the year. And so we started out doing a virtual, I think the first thing we did was a virtual Easter egg hunt, but it was really <laughs> educational because we would go to different parts. You know, we'd go to the chicken coop and we'd find an egg and I'd have a little fact or we'd go to the rounds or we'd go to the lambs or, you know, we just went around the farm. Oh, fun. And it was really just people were, when's the next thing? What, you know, when's the next thing? So we kind of saw when people were at home and they can't go anywhere then at any time of the year, any day, they can watch this video. So we really committed in to try and do, um, we're trying to do one a week. It doesn't always happen. It just wow. depends on the schedule. But honestly, as a farmer, I mean, there's a lot of things like just hoof trimming that may, I take, just do it with the, you know, don't think about it. People may be interested in that. Or if it's planting a bachelor button, or if it's, you know, we're about to pull up all the tarp tomorrow and till and put in, you know, you know, put the compost in. So little things that I think people enjoy that don't live on a farm, but maybe are interested, or maybe it's how to harvest a zinnia, you know, I did that because a lot of people ask about that. So I'm just trying to think of little things that are, it's really just giving the idea out there to people and letting them see, letting them see it, but it's been great. And my husband does a good job. He does all the editing. So does he do um, the filming too, or are you just? He does. Okay. He does the filming and the editing. So wow. he does a good job with that. So 
you know, we just have to kind of be thinking, you know, we just did the unboxing, uh, which I've never done before of the new, one of the new gift boxes. So that's kind of up there. And then oh, good. You know, when we get it. ready for, yeah, when we get ready for breeding season and we get breaking everyone in their breeding roots, we'll probably do it YouTube. And, you know, we've done the chicken coop and we're just trying to really give people a taste of farm life and hopefully throw in some education of something they didn't know fact, and, you know, really be providing that education that they're missing with us not being able to be open for guests. So it's much more holistic than just a um, floral design DIY, you know, YouTube channel. This is more like whatever you're doing, basically any day of the week, it's probably worth a video because it's something that the farm needs. Uh, even if it's maybe, like you said, uh, sharing the sheep, it's, it's not necessarily fancy, but it's real. And- right. And that's what we want it to be is real. And, and. And I think that, you know, like it, even something as simple as rolling out the Hortanova netting and securing it. A lot of people don't know how, how, do, how do the flowers, we keep our flowers from toppling over. You know, I didn't know that five years ago mm-hmm. and it changed my life. I mean, I mean <laughs> right. it really did. No more corralling with Billingswine. So I think just little <laughs> things, like if you think in a day, every day, the things that are probably could be interesting. I um, love it. Yeah. Just it's just thinking of it and you know being aware that hey we probably need to film this today but you know and I think it'll it'll probably change like you know now it's heavier on flowers but you know as we get into uh, breeding season and then dried and then lambing I'm sure will be really popular we'll probably do a lot more with lambing than we ever have before. Well, it's so interesting uh, because I could see Natasha where uh, you know the the conventional argument is well what's what's the payoff for this I'm I'm spending my time. Obviously, my talent and my money, because you could be doing something else that actually did transfer to or translate into a paycheck. Um, you're doing all this investment in building up that channel. And, and you have, you have sounds like you have the long view. You see that this will connect more people with 1818 Farms who wouldn't have found you otherwise. They, I mean, they maybe don't live near you. And so uh, it's it's a calculation you have to make. And I guess you started this just what within the last several months in the last several months. Okay. Yes. So, and it is, you have to really, at the end of the day, I think anything that you do, you're strategically thinking about how is this going to build my brand five years from now? Yeah. Or for me, that's what I'm thinking about Wow. is, is maybe it's not what's immediate, but what could happen in five years. And Ooh. you have to be forward thinking like that. It's brilliant. I mean, you could be buying ads uh, somewhere and have no idea, you know, who sees them. Whereas if you control your own YouTube channel, you 100% hold control that content. And you can also push it out through many other platforms. So I applaud you for doing that. That's brilliant. Well, thank you. So what's what else are you uh, excited about coming into, uh, <laughs> let's see, you've You've been planting, you've been uh, shearing, you've, you know, you're starting nice. to, you're breeding, like you're, there's no off button here, right? Or pause there button. There is not, no, there is not even a, there's not even the in the world. There's not one. No, I think, you know, this week we're removing everything out of the fields. It, um, then we're going to be planting the end of this week. And then we've got to build some new tunnels, low tunnel, uh, you know, low tunnels, caterpillar tunnels this doing that and so we're just you know waiting for the next thing and really working on the drive right now Mm -hmm. is you know getting ready and start for holiday shipping Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing so but yeah that's kind of the cycle never ends so So. the planting that you're doing now are like your cool annual cool season annuals 
Yes, mm -hmm. yes. It's all the annuals. And then I had some uh, Lenten roses that just came in. I've been waiting on putting oh, those yeah. in. Uh, yeah, ladies' mantle. Some so perennials I'm putting in. I was wondering if you did berries. perennials in addition to annuals. Yeah. We do. We do. And it's just a challenge on the perennials. You know, we have such a heavy clay soil here and we amend it, but it's still a challenge with mm. any perennial. So, uh, but yeah, so we'll do about half of our fields in the cool weather. And uh, we probably do mm, about, out of those, about 70% in plugs, maybe the other 30 seed. And, and some of the things will be, you know, Rebecca, things like that. But, mm -hmm. you know, we, we just treat as an annual here because it's, it's just easier to do it that way. Mm. Wow. That's great. Well, I'm excited that uh, we could get uh, kind of to meet you virtually on the podcast. And now everyone can go meet you on YouTube. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing the story of 1818 Farms. It's just, I, I don't know when I'll get to visit, but I will visit you someday. I'm now knowing that you're halfway between Birmingham and Nashville, it's like really easy for me to picture renting yes. a car and, you know, an hour and a half so, later, I'm at your farm. <laughs> yeah. So it's so convenient, the location. I wish you could come. It'd be great. I would love to host you here. Oh, that would be great. And and I guess you're just kind of monitoring COVID and what, what your state or your local health authorities are um, recommending for resuming on-farm workshops and events. Is that kind of... We are. And we did, you know, typically we do a wreath workshop in December, and I've decided not to do that because it has to be outdoors. And you know, before we had it indoors, it's just too much of a, uh, you know, a crapshoot for me because, mm -hmm. you know, like this weekend, it rained the whole weekend and it's an open air pavilion. I, you know, it could be here in December, it could be a beautiful 70 degree day or it could be a 38 degree day and raining. So I really hate to cancel those because I've been doing those really since the first year we opened mm -hmm. the farm, the Della, more the Della Robia style reef. And um, we're going to cancel those. I just don't feel that we can do that and everyone be as happy as they are without being able to control the weather, you know. But maybe so, you'll but, do maybe you'll do a, a wreath demo on YouTube instead because <laughs> you have what, your fans. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I had a lot of people email last night. I haven't seen the wreath workshops go live, and I was and finally I just you know I was waiting to this last minute, but I just don't feel like we can provide safely provide the environment they're used to. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, uh, this has been great, Natasha. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to make sure people hear from you on uh, before we wrap up? No, I think that's it. If you want to follow us on uh, YouTube or Instagram or Facebook, it's 1818farms.com, just the number 1818farms. And there are websites the same, 1818farms.com. Oh, absolutely. And w I'm so excited we can share photos. And, and uh, obviously, we've got to meet these adorable sheep. So I, I'm going to spend some time <laughs> poking around your, uh, your videos so I can see them. They're just, they are really unique. And it's wonder wonderful to have that kind of, almost like a symbol of the farm to have that uh, adorable little character that, that people want to meet. So you get them in that way. That's your, that's your lure. <laughs> that it this when we were uh pulling out the marigolds today and cutting to dry they loved those and they were all at the fence bang wanting marigolds so yeah they've been front center today oh my gosh you mean they eat them like little snacks oh they love them they love a marigold <laughs> mm -hmm. they do <laughs> that's fun okay thanks so much natasha it's been really great talking with you okay thanks deborah Thanks so much for joining us today for another fabulous conversation. 
Hey, time is running out to participate in the 2021 Slow Flowers member survey. You'll find the link in today's show notes and to thank you for sharing your time to take the survey, we'd like to send you an etched Slow Flower Society botanical bookmark and enter your name into the drawing for one free registration to the 2021 Slow Flowers Summit valued at $599. But you must give us your name and contact information to receive the bookmark and enter the drawing. If you choose to respond anonymously, that's fine, but we can't bestow our gifts. Our next sponsor thanks goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Registration is now open for my first online course, Slow Flowers Creative Workshop, Floral Storytelling. The course begins November 1st, so check out links and take advantage of the $200 off introductory promo code, meaning you can enjoy this course for just $97. It includes three modules, 10 lessons, six worksheets, and three writing templates. I'm excited to see you in the course. And... I want to give a shout out to our first two students who registered last weekend. I'm eager to have you join me to boost and refine your floral storytelling skills and to enhance your own message with the power of words. As I mentioned earlier, the Flurvana Virtual Summit, for which I taught in late August, is returning with a holiday edition. That takes place Sunday, October 25th to Wednesday, October 28th. And my presentation is scheduled to air Monday, October 26th at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. I've developed an entirely new presentation called Taking Stock, Writing Your 2020 Year in Review and Your 2021 Forecast with Creative Intention. As with last time, you can register for a free pass to attend Flurvana, but many people are purchasing a VIP pass to access private speaker roundtables and watch the presentations at their own pace. Sean and I will draw one free VIP pass for one of you. Just sign up to register at the link that I'll have in today's show notes. Everyone who registers through that link will go into a drawing for the VIP pass. The deadline is midnight Eastern time on October 24th. We'll draw the winner and let you know as soon as possible so you can join all of the private speaker roundtables online, of course. And as I mentioned, everyone who registers will still be able to watch the sessions in real time starting next Sunday. I'll see you there. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 651,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thank you goes to Seattle Wholesale Growers Market a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top-quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. 
I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.